Uh, welcome everyone to another episode of Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I'll be your host today, Chris Minerly. Today we have a special guest with us. This is Toby Passman. Let me tell you a little bit about Toby here. Toby Passman is a neurophysiology researcher graduating from University of Oregon with a bachelor's degree in psychology. During his time there, he worked in the Emotions and Neuroplasticity Project with the Brain Development Lab. There he learned EEG, there he learned EEG acquisition and artifacting. He then went on to work in the clinical mental health field utilizing EEG as well as quantitative EEG uh, modalities which included transcranial stimulation, pulse electromagnetic field stimulation, and neurofeedback technology as well. <clears throat> Later he uh, got board certified in neurofeedback. He's currently working on a master's degree in psychology at Lynn University and of course he is the founder of Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. Uh, he can also be found, his show can be found here on the YouTube channel Roscoe's Wetsuit along with audio versions of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so on. All right. So, Toby, welcome. This is a special episode for us, obviously. This is going to be our 100th episode of the podcast that you've created. And so it's a little different today. I will be, of course, the host, and you will be the guest. Indeed. So welcome. How the, the roles reverse. It's uh, a great introduction that you gave me, um, one that uh, I'm usually doing for other people. So glad to be introduced. I appreciate you asking me to do this. It's, uh, it's an honor. Of course. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad uh, that we're able to do this because as I was telling you before we started recording, as you already know, you were the first person when I came up with the idea that I wanted to do a neuroscience podcast. I, at the time, we were coworkers, and I stepped into your office. Was like, kind of want to do this podcast where I talk to researchers and neuroscientists and clinicians and and ask all of these cool people uh, questions that I just genuinely want to know the answer to. Uh, to have a good excuse to talk to people who otherwise I might not get a chance to talk to. So, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because. Uh, I know when you first shot the idea to me, I was kind of like, a podcast, another podcast, right? It's like, how many people are making podcasts these days? So it's like, another podcast, and now you're like, who's this kid, right? You know, uh, coming out here trying to ask all these big questions, you know, to these really interesting people, no doubt. But I kind of doubted it, and, you know, here we are 100 episodes later, so it's like, wow. Haters gonna hate. You know, foot in my mouth, basically, right? Um, so of course, you know, this is a special uh, episode for us, you know, we're in person today, which is a little different, um, got the nice little fire here to keep us warm as well. The first thing I wanted to ask you, I'm sure a lot of people have wondered this, uh, as they see your podcast, they watch your shows, they listen, what's the name about? Like, yes. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Roscoe's Wetsuit, basically the reference comes from one of my favorite, well, First, it started as an album, the album Because of the Internet by Childish Gambino, a rapper. He produced, uh, along with the album, he came up with a screenplay. And in the screenplay, there's this theme, this concept 
of Roscoe's wetsuit, that these words that continuously appear throughout the screenplay. They may appear graffitied under a bridge. They may be scribbled on a napkin. And no one really knows what it means. It's just Roscoe's wetsuit. So at the end of the show, or at the end of the screenplay, the boy, the main character, basically comes across a kid who's scribbling down Roscoe's wetsuit. So he thinks, oh my gosh, I'm finally going to be able to get the answer to this mystery uh, as far as what is Roscoe's wetsuit. So he approaches the kid and demands an answer. Well, what is this? What is Roscoe's wetsuit? And the kid's response, I don't know. I just saw it online. So, in a way, the title means some different things. In a way, the title is kind of ironic in the sense that I'm hoping to be delivering material, bringing material to uh, online, to, uh, uh, to the media that is original, kind of uh, playing off of that ironic name in which people just tend to kind of follow whatever's currently popular, whatever's trending, you know, and lack a lot of originality, in my opinion. So with this podcast, as you were saying, because there's plenty of podcasts, there's not necessarily a need for another, you know, just, just boring podcast. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to do this different. I want to have super, just raw, interesting conversations, something like this in a way where it's actually just two people having a conversation they may have over lunch, but you know, be recording it. And it's made for a lot of really uh, interesting and enjoyable content, so. Excellent. So it, it makes you wonder, you know, you look at these other podcasts, you know, I mean, obviously there's some really famous ones we can, we can name off um, that are sort of across the board, right? You know, you might have a guest that, you know, works in a zoo or for you know or something like that and then you know the next podcast it's like you're interviewing a, a criminal investigator and it's like there's no connection right so what makes yours a little bit different and and why right right that's a good question so you know i do like to mix up the episodes as far as the general kind of theme bringing everything back to, together being basically people who are on the applied applied end of neuroscience or psychology. Maybe they're not even on the applied end. Maybe they're researchers. Maybe these are people who've dedicated their whole lives to studying specific, some specific part of the brain or some specific neurotechnology, which we might talk about later, and how it affects the brain. And some of these people are not used to being on podcasts. These are not your, you know, media, TV guests per se. You know, some of them are researchers. So you know, where I feel like I can kind of come in and contribute is basically being on the translational side, basically helping to explain and helping, helping guide researchers to explain their incredibly cool, often complicated research to, you know, kind of a lay audience, uh, an intelligent lay audience who is going to actually benefit uh, and find this stuff really interesting. So. That's where I see myself coming in. I view myself as sort of a conduit for, you know, helping helping all of these incredible, amazing individuals kind of share their message. Hmm. So I guess the idea is uh, if you can get someone who, you know, they might be this doctorate who's been studying this pathway in the brain, you know, 20 plus years. It's very complicated, you know, system, uh, obviously. 
taking that person and, and trying to ask them these, these questions that they may not usually get, right? Because perhaps they're, they're used to talking to other like-minded individuals, right? Who are, uh, who are able to sort of talk the talk, right? And then I guess the idea is what? To take, take that conversation and say, okay, well, what does it mean for me? You know, the guy on the, on the street here, you know, or you know, how does that translate to everyday life? Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in academia that a lot of people don't know about. And a lot of those people are not, you know, they, they, they publish books that are designed, as you're kind of saying, for, for their peers. They publish medical textbooks and, and, and you know, research papers in, journal, in, in journals, research articles in journals that, you know, may not necessarily be, you know, they may not be writing books or doing blog posts or podcasts that are explaining their work uh, for lay people despite the fact that their work has tremendous implications. So I saw a lot of that going on and I saw, you know, partially before I even came up with the idea to do a podcast, I would just read a research paper per se um, and be genuinely interested and want to learn more and who best to find out more but, you know, the actual author. So the podcast kind of became, you know, this you know, where it was a good excuse to start having these conversations with people and ask questions that I was genuinely interested in. Uh, I don't necessarily view myself as, you know, a journalist who, who is necessarily objective. I often, you know, will interject my own opinions and, and kind of give my, you know, take on, on some of these different concepts and issues and, and how I see it sort of, you know, applying to just the general public. So that makes me wonder, like, of all people, why you? You know, why, why did you think I should be the one to do this? Right, right. You know, I'd say probably in, uh, in college I realized I really enjoyed doing opinion articles, opinion pieces for the newspaper. And I would always focus, I had pretty free reign to do those, those opinion columns on whatever sort of subjects I wanted. So I would usually write about things that I were interested in, oftentimes with, you know, science, health, the brain in particular. And I found that, you know, I have kind of a, a, a more natural ability to sort of translate some of these concepts. I may not be, I don't have 30 years of research experience in one specific thing. I'm not, you know, when I'm doing this podcast, I am not, you know, presenting myself as the expert. You know, I'm bringing in, you know, people who are much wiser and older and have much more experience than me, but I'm, I have sufficient knowledge to be able to have these educated conversations and hold my own and and really help translate the research so you know i don't know if it's a skill that you know i've necessarily developed or something that's just come naturally to me but i always thought that you know that was something that you know i could see myself doing okay and so you know that leads me to wonder you know like if you're the one doing that do you feel like it's sort of teaching you something new like I know often for me I read something I might read it 10 times and it's like it teaches me something right it doesn't matter what it may be and then I go and then I, I talk to somebody about it and then just bouncing that idea off of them it almost sort of changes the way I look at it further instilling it in my, in my brain, you know, of course we, we could talk about, you know, the memory system and, and all that jazz, but uh, to me it, it becomes a different concept. And so 
Do you feel that way like for yourself, like talking to, to some of these people? Certainly, yeah, and I definitely view this as part of my education. I mean, because I'm, you know, oftentimes learning a lot from these guests. You know, some of them I've read, you know, maybe their research papers or their books, um, and sometimes it's a time for me to to further flush out, uh, make sure that I actually understand the concepts uh, or ideas that are being presented, uh, and also think about them in new ways and often go deeper in certain areas that I feel like are particularly interesting. I mean, as you know, with, with research, you could have a long you know, research paper, you know, a, long, a long piece, and you know, maybe there's a few key things that you, you notice in there, right? You feel like this is you know, kind of the meat, right? Where as far as you know, someone, you know, Joe Schmo may not go and, and read that 30-page research paper and be able to pick out what are those important pieces? So the way I view my job is, okay, find those important pieces, find the interesting, the really, the, the, the best parts of, you know, these people's content, whatever it may be, the, the blogs, the books, podcasts, whatever it may be, and really focus on that and help, uh, help basically give these people um, a platform to share their ideas completely openly and honestly. Uh, it's always been important for me to have try to set the podcast up to have this sort of interaction like we're having right now, where it's you know, genuine, organic. Um, you know, obviously, me and you are friends and we already know each other, so it's a little bit easier because we already have that rapport going. But you know, one of my big jobs is kind of trying to quickly build rapport with these guests who oftentimes I may have never previously met. You know, I may have maybe meeting them a few minutes before we start recording. So, that's one of the big challenges I face in doing the podcast. Right, and actually that leads to another question in a moment I wanted to ask you, but before we get to that, uh, I was curious like, okay, so we're, we're having these conversations over this platform, which is obviously pretty new, right? And I know some of your guests in the past you interviewed talked about how new podcasting really is. I mean, maybe 10 years, 15 years uh, at most. Do you feel, just sort of, you know, a question to you personally, do you feel like this is the new medium of learning? You know, like obviously, uh, you know, historically, right, it may have been sort of your elder is sort of just giving you the spoken word. This is, this is knowledge. And then it slowly developed to now we're reading. This is knowledge, right? But then, of course, obviously you had like paradigms like, uh, you know, the radio, uh, you know, talk radio certainly. But do you think like podcasting is now like the new sort of information uh, wave, if you will? I I would argue yes. I mean, in terms of the busy world that we all you know live in, oftentimes people don't you know have the, the actual time after coming home from a long work day and having to you know take care of their kids and families. You know, they may not have time to read you know a six hundred page you know big bulky book. What they do have time to do, you know, maybe it's on their commutes, maybe it's while they're doing laundry, you know, they can throw some earbuds in, you know, listen in the car, whatever it may be. Podcasting, um, you know, I think provides a very uh, uh, effective medium um, to learn, you know, for people who are very busy, who, who are on the go. So yes, I, I, think, I think podcasting definitely does, is playing a very significant part in kind of modern day, you know, media journalism, if you will. I mean, that's something we, you know, can directly see yeah. with, you know, take a guy like Joe Rogan, who, who is definitely an inspiration as far as his, 
his method of podcasting, his because that the way you know his show always felt to me was that you know it was two people sitting down next you know across from each other. They very well could have been at lunch, you know, just just with cameras off. He never actually looks directly at the camera. You don't, you know, it's not a you know he's not a CNN reporter. He's just kind of your kind of average, you know, kind of interested layman, if you will. Um, but he's he's asking all of these questions that are, he's just genuinely interested in knowing the answer to. So I definitely took, you know, took a lot of inspiration from that. But Joe Rogan is a guy that, you know, is not a, a classic kind of media figure, yet, I mean, his podcasts have so many millions of downloads. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of friends who, I mean, that's almost their, their big, their, their number one source of media is, you know, whatever's on the next three hour Joe Rogan. Yeah, and it leads me to, to, to think about this whole notion now. Obviously, you see it on the news, right? You know, people always talking about misinformation. And I think, especially now, everything's becoming so politicized. Not to say that I want to get so deep into that necessarily, but a lot of people might look at, you know, a news network, or they might look at a newspaper, for example, and right away they're thinking, I don't believe that, right? How do you feel that plays a role with podcasting? You know, because obviously it's a different medium, right? Do you feel like there is that misinformation bias? Like in the sense of, you know, maybe a news network has an agenda, right? Whereas you're just, you know, some other person who's, genu again, genuinely inter interested in, in such a topic, you know? Right. I mean, I think it, you know, podcasts, podcasts are probably varies a lot. I mean, there's certainly podcasts that are done by companies, you know, who are, who are talking about the products that they're selling. So in those cases, it might not be this kind of, you know, I don't know if anything really is completely unbiased because there's always, you know, the person, the host of the podcast with their own opinions, however much they interject those opinions, you know, that varies show to show. But yeah, I mean, I think, what I've tried to do is is to basically just share my genuine opinions on subjects on subjects. I'm currently not you know selling any products, so there's there's really no tie that I have to give any you know specific answer or recommend any specific thing. I come at it just from a, a I try to just come at it from the perspective of the the curious you know person who wants to learn more, and that's. The same, you know, sort of mindset that I've tried to take, you know, in my academic career, just, you know, keeping an open mind, and, and it's easy to do so when the people that you're talking to are, are genuinely intriguing to you. Absolutely, and of course, you know, speaking of the people, right? You know, this is the special hundredth episode. You know, woo! Um, so that's you know, ninety nine episodes now that you've done. So what? What do you think so far? You know, like what what would you say are some highlights that you've gotten out of this this yes. adventure? Yeah. Um, first things that come to mind. I mean, interviewing people. Uh, you know, kind of some of the big name figures in our, our kind of field of neuroscience. Obviously, obviously speaking to you know Dr. Nicholas Dobris, the CEO of Neurofield. Having him on the show was was an awesome accomplishment. Um, I really enjoyed talking to uh, a, a gentleman, uh, Dr. Shad Helmstetter, who's written numerous books, numerous best-selling books, 
uh, in applied neuroscience and motivation, has given talks and been on ABC, NBC, all the major news platforms, and having a guy like him on the show uh, has been an awesome, you know, has made for an awesome episode. Um, there's also been guys, uh, you know, I would say uh, James Fadiman, who is a microdosing expert, um, talks about microdosing psychedelics, uh, has devoted the majority of his, uh, of his career to, to the research and, and discussion of that. And he's someone that I actually originally connected with when I wrote an article for the paper several years ago for the student newspaper at the UVO. And we had sort of, you know, built up a little bit of a relationship and ending up, you know, having him on the podcast is another just, you know, someone that I had, even before I had wrote this article, it was like someone I had genuinely, I had read his books, not because I was preparing for a podcast. It was something that I just wanted to do in my free time because as I keep going back to it, just genuinely interested me. So those are the things that come to mind as far as, you know, my favorite, my favorite guests. Um, obviously, often, you know, doing episodes with, you know, I'll take a guy like uh, Dr. Nizar Taki, who, who's a good friend of mine. And I love speaking to him and having these kind of back and forth discussions because he's a guy that, you know, I'll spend hours, you know, in his, his Miami apartment just having these conversations with, with no camera recording. And they're super interesting conversations in my opinion. So getting to just have that, you know, with the camera going with someone that you already have that, you know, sort of sense of rapport built up, I think that can make some of the best content for the, for the viewers or listeners. Absolutely. And it, it's interesting because I know that you, you mentioned this earlier about how you may not actually know some of these people ahead of time, right? So you've kind of, you know, from what I've seen, I've, I've watched a lot of your, your episodes and I've given you some critiques <laughs> over, over the course of your time doing it, um, which I, and I've seen you've taken to heart in a lot of that. What do you feel has helped you? Like, so, you know, you meet somebody new, right? What do you feel has helped you to kind of get them to relax, to really like say, hey, look, you know, we're on the same page now, let's, let's just chat. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think, and that's a super critical part of, you know, I think getting better, you know, kind of as this year has progressed, you know, I've been doing this, you know, for the last year and a half. And definitely over the course of that time, I've gotten better and better at, at sort of building that rapport very early on and then just kind of coming at it from, a, you know, asking, asking easy, easy questions, helping people open up. I'm not trying to put anyone on blast or ask them any, you know, necessarily conf uh, controversial, confrontational questions that's going to make them kind of, I'm not doing this for shock value, you know, so. I think my guests respect that. They respect that I have knowledge within the fields of neuroscience and psychology, and I'm not this guy who's just you know necessarily asking them, "Tell me what your book is about." You know, I think that that makes for boring content. Um, so I try to do as much background research and, and really try to get to. That's really what it is. Is if I can, you know, if, even if I haven't met this person before, if I've watched their lectures or read some of their books, their research papers. It's almost like I do kind of know them in a sense. They may not know me, but you know, very early on, you know, I can introduce you know certain or reference certain you know material that they've that they've uh, been associated with that they presented, and very early on, you know, they're they're you know they're impressed that 
okay, this is a guy who, who you know, he's done his research. He's not, um, you know, maybe like some of these other podcasts that are just kind of coming in, uh, coming out, coming in completely, you know, empty-handed. Uh, but at the same time, I always do try to maintain that sense of, of that sort of raw, just conversational nature. So, you know, when I started the podcast, I would write out questions. I would write out, you know, specific questions that I knew I wanted to, to, to ask my guest. And I would often write them in a specific order of, you know, I want to ask this first. And then, you know, maybe later on in the show, I want to ask them this and this. Some, sometimes it works. Sometimes it worked for me, but oftentimes what I would find is that, you know, the conversation would end up going somewhere else, a very interesting place oftentimes, but instead of me being completely present with my guest, I would be in my head trying to think, oh, when would be a good time to interject with this question? I still have questions to get answered. When should I, when would be best? And you know, I decided to just scrap that altogether and not to say that I don't prepare for the episodes, but my preparation comes with consuming their content beforehand. When it comes to actually just recording, I found that the best episodes uh, as the year has kind of gone on, you know, my episodes have become more and more present with the guests, really listening to what they have to say. Maybe if I pick up on something that sounds really interesting to me that they, that they mention, you know, um, I'll ask them, you know, tell me more, explain, explain more about this thing where that's something that I wasn't previously able to do when I was still caught up with, well, when should I ask this next question? So basically shifting into more of a, just a genuine kind of conversational approach rather than a journalistic approach, I think is something that for me, I've found has produced the best content. It's kind of funny you say that, you know, cause it, it makes me think uh, of conversations we've had, you know, uh, sort of like the notion of the academic sense versus more of like an interpersonal sense, right? Whereas like you could over prepare for this exam and you're expecting a certain question to pop up because you've read it so many times. You know that this pathway in this particular, you know, molecular structure is going to be on this exam. So now you're expecting it and you're waiting for it and then it's not there. And so you're getting so caught up in your head with it. Whereas, and I, I don't know, recently we've, we've talked about that notion about Sort of just letting it go, right? Letting it go with the flow, right? And allowing more of that social interaction to occur. You know, is that sort of like you know where you're going with it like yes. now? Yes, and I think it's it's very apparent not just to you know you've been talking about this in terms of the the guest. You know, that's definitely something that they can obviously sense, but but also the listeners, they can certainly sense you know, if this is sort of a scripted interview. And they can often sense when the, the, the guests are answering these sort of scripted questions in their own scripted ways. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes these guests get the same questions. They get very basic questions that all of the interviewers ask them. When that happens, what happens, like from, you know, what we know about the brain, you know, we kind of go in, into this autopilot mode and that's not really inspiring and engaging you know, discussion that's bringing anything new to the table. That's kind of just the regurgitation of, you know, previously thought about material. So to me, that's, that's not really what I'm trying to do with the show. So the more present that I, you know, am, I think it, it reflects both on the guests along with the listeners. They can sense that genuine interaction and they, they can, they can hear when podcast guests 
guests that I've had on the show, they say, hmm, you know, they, 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 take a, they take a few seconds to think about a question that I've asked them and, you know, they'll make a comment, hmm, I've never, never, never had to think about it in this way. And that's, that's really what I love to hear. When, when I see kind of the wheels spinning, you know, in their head, because I know that then it's bringing fresh new material to the table. It's not something that you could just find on any million other podcasts that they've been on. So, um, I was curious, you know, as you start to interview all these different types of people, have you noticed any difference between, you know, say a person who may have been in the field for a long time, you know, whatever that may be, you know, whether they're like sort of like a, a researcher or, you know, maybe a clinician. Have you noticed how there might be a difference in their way of interacting with you? Like in the sense that, you know, I, I kind of get this notion that if, if somebody's sort of been around for a long time, they might be maybe a little bit more set in their ways of how they talk to you, right? Like if you say, hey, tell me about your research. They sort of like that cookie cutter spiel. Whereas maybe if you get somebody who is a little bit newer, they might be a little bit more sort of, you know, off the cuff, you know, winging it a little bit, maybe sort of a little bit more approachable. You have you noticed that at all? Definitely, definitely. And it's something that I I also have a role in terms of, you know, when we have those cases, you know, I have guests on the show who have been, you know, on a lot of other podcasts. It's still something that, you know, I work to, to make my, you know, interactions, you know, try to ask really interesting questions that aren't, aren't something that hopefully other podcasters have asked them, ask questions that, you know, maybe I personally thought of after reviewing, you know, some of their work. So, you know, it, it definitely depends. I mean, sometimes I, I always try to keep it fresh. I always try to keep it fresh you know, interesting new ideas flowing, hopefully. But certainly with people who have not been on a lot of podcasts, who maybe they're sitting on 30 years of research and they haven't really done a lot of media appearances to explain much of it, it's very, you know, I mean, they, they have plenty to share. And my role in that case is to kind of help them kind of share the, the, the applicable, really relevant information that, you know, the more lay person, if you will, is going to really be able to be able to understand, oh, well, this is why the research is so interesting and applicable. This is how, you know, it can be, you know, utilized in this specific neurotechnology or this, uh, you know, way of eating per se that can actually benefit me directly. Right. I mean, as, as a listener, you know, I certainly appreciate having, you know, a guest who is more willing to have that sort of off the cuff approach, you know, talking about their research or even sort of branching out beyond just that sort of initial interaction. You know, not to say that your guests are like that, you know, but I have noticed that in other podcasts, right? You, you, you have a guest on there that might be a little bit more, I guess, in, in a sense, sort of closed, uh, you know, I'm here to talk about A and B, and that's all I'm going to talk about. I will say that, you know, I've noticed this sort of transition, right, or perhaps I like to think of maybe like an evolution uh, in your, you know, podcast, and that a lot of the, the, the people that you interview have 
sort of started to branch out more. You know, he might bring them on there to talk about a certain topic, but they're willing to have that topic expand beyond. Right. And that oftentimes, I mean, you know, when we have, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to do a full episode, you know, then sometimes I, I sort of have that in the back of my mind where I'm like, you know, we can spend, you know, a, a, a good majority of the podcast, we can spend the first 20 minutes talking about, you know, maybe their main research ideas, but then I have so much curiosity as far as how they view that, you know, carrying over to different, you know, different disciplines or, you know, what maybe a researcher might think of, you know, say commercial, you know, neuroscience technologies that, that they may not be directly affiliated with, but I'm so curious to hear their opinion. So it definitely, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying earlier as far as this is not uh, a you know, directly educational podcast. The, the goal of the podcast is to inspire interesting discussions, to, to provoke thoughts. And I would say, you know, doing, doing you know, uh, just asking people, you know, it, Chris, it's oftentimes as simple as just asking the questions that I'm already wondering, questions that other people are probably already wondering when they're listening to the episode. I think that makes for the best discussions when it's when it's just questions that if I find them interesting, I think oftentimes other people will find them interesting too. So yeah, I think it, it depends obviously again on the guest, how willing they are to to explore these different areas uh, that may, may sort of differ from their main research focus. But I have found a lot of guests do very much enjoy having those discussions. We were talking a little bit about how you know researchers might get looked at. Uh, you know, in the sense of when I watch a podcast or I listen to a podcast, I'm curious as to the level of openness that the researchers might be, or the guests, I should say, might be, uh, in terms of what they're willing to talk about. I would imagine a lot of you know, listeners don't really latch on to the to the guests that are sort of stuck in a certain mold, right? I know I personally like when a question might be presented that might start off in one realm and sort of branch out into other realms. Right. That's the big thing uh, when I record a podcast is, and this is something that I didn't, you know, necessarily originally start with, but as I've kind of gotten more experience doing these interviews, I made sure to try to make it fit kind of a cohesive, uh, have a cohesive model um, or structure, if you will, to the conversation. So figuring out ways, you know, that it can deviate maybe from some of the main points and, and ask, you know, some interesting questions that might lead us down some rabbit hole, which I'm totally fine with. But What's important to me is, you know, making it structured enough where it can eventually kind of direct back to the main focus, um, or at least explain where that rabbit hole went um, and how that actually relates to, you know, the main focus of research or or thing that we're talking about. Well, it's interesting because I find that, especially the more we look at this this neuroscience uh, research, we see that things aren't so specific, 
right? We, we're starting to notice that all these different pieces are actually pieces of this bigger puzzle that are starting to be presented. And I noticed, you know, of course, you know, we had this sort of notion of, okay, yeah, we might have a researcher come in and he's talking about a certain pathway uh, in the brain or a certain circuit in the brain or a certain molecule that interacts in the brain. Then you might have a guest on your show that, you know, might be some sort of yoga instructor who is, you know, sort of in this mindfulness realm of things. Um, or you might even have somebody who's like a, a nutritionist, right? So what would you say the role is with that? I mean, if this is a podcast that is neuroscience heavy, how do these other factors actually play? Right. So my podcast, I would, you know, categorize it as applied neuroscience or applied psychology. And uh, the applied part is basically helping uh, or, or basically I'm only really focused on what's going to be able to make a tangible difference in the listeners' lives. Whether that tangible difference is, is something right now or it's you know coming in the near future. You know, I'm not interested in, in discussing theoretical ideas necessarily of of uh, of what might come in 30 years. You know, I'm looking at you know what what the science is right now and how that might benefit people or at least interest people uh, currently. So I would say that, you know, it's, uh, people might come at, you know, the same sort of topic from a different sort of paradigm. Someone, someone might be describing, you know, the, uh, the neuroscience of mindfulness, you know, and, and which brain areas get activated or deactivated when someone, you know, practices mindful meditation for a given amount of time. Um, but we might also have someone on the, um, kind of more the direct, directly applied approach who's actually doing, you know, conducting these mindfulness sessions or leading, you know, as you mentioned, kind of yoga classes and can describe the sort of, uh, you know, benefits as far as awareness and mindfulness and, you know, an ability to stay in the present moment that neuroscientists also try to describe, that they do describe, but just from, it's, it's from a different lens. So I think those different lenses really help because one might, you know, uh, appeal to one person more so than the other. Uh, there can be two different podcasts and, and one might, uh, one person might relate and, and be more intrigued by the, the sort of neuroscientific approach and, and might be familiar with some of these brain areas that maybe talked about. Someone else who's just interested in kind of the, the wellness, sort of, you know, brain wellness, who might not actually be, you know, a researcher or someone who's educated in the field of neuroscientists. Of, of neuroscience, they might very well find a podcast with you know a meditation teacher or yoga teacher. They might find that the the most applicable. They might find that that person is is sort of speaking their language, if you will. So I think it's it's very helpful to have kind of a broad array of guests who aren't necessarily uh, just researchers, just clinicians, just neuroscientists, just yoga teachers. You know, it's interesting to uh, have a combination of those. And it makes it more interesting um, for my job to, to talk to a variety of different people. Well, you know, especially now because we sort of know, or I, I guess we're starting to, to get that notion that all these things are connected, right? You know, I always think about historically in the field of neuroscience and, and sort of where it was. It's so rigid in its thinking and 
you know, you can even see the evidence in, in textbooks and how they were written, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, we're now, you know, obviously becoming less rigid, I think, and we're thinking, okay, well, there's obviously going to be a role to play with these other systems, whether that be psychology, whether that be, you know, sort of, you know, the, the nutritional content side, right, uh, the mindfulness side, if you will, how is, how is your physical well-being also playing a role with your brain health? Um, and, and that's why I find it really fascinating and you know, we always get into sort of the nutrition. I love to talk about that, uh, with the, the gut brain axis and how that plays a role and how we navigate the world, you know, in a daily sense, how we feeling, right? Um, but you know, where I also am aware, uh, is that, you know, we're in this society, especially here in, in this country. We're very westernized in our thinking, and especially when it comes to technology, we really latch on to that. And of course, you know, there's that push now. You know, we talk about like the push that a lot of people are to, to sort of Eastern practices of, of meditation and mindfulness and so forth. But I still strongly see that people love that, or maybe love's not the right word, but people latch on to that sort of westernized viewpoint or lens if you will um, and so that leads into you know the notion of, of how we're changing the brain using technology and what do, you, what, do you, what do you think about that you know like what do you think about sort of where we're going with that because I know obviously we are in that field right of, of neurosimulation and modulation and so forth but where do you see that taking off or, or, or heading you know in these next few days, next few years. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, we've already seen, I would say within the last several years, maybe maybe the past decade, you could say, kind of this uh, reemergence of, you know, said, you know, uh, kind of yoga and meditation uh, has kind of come to the mainstream. And that's not to say that these are new practices. They're not, you know, these things are, are breath work. These are all things that you know, breathing is something that has been around since we've been around, right? But, you know, people have figured out ways to modulate our breathing and, and figured out the biological benefits maybe of doing so. So, yeah, these practices, some of them are new, some of them are old. I think, uh, you know, my personal opinion is that, you know, mixing and matching the different approaches and maybe tailoring, you know, one person may find that you know, they, they want to just meditate the old-fashioned way, and maybe they get the benefits of meditation. Maybe they, they really notice, you know, meditation being a very powerful tool, or just sitting down and, and being mindful of their thoughts. They might notice very powerful effects in their lives. Other people, a lot of other people, can't stick to a meditation regimen, in which case, you know, a more modern technology, such as neurostimulation, neurofeedback, then might be able to get them to the same place that the, the goal of meditation might be trying to take them to, but for whatever reason, maybe it's you know just a lack of you know willingness to kind of put in all of the, the energy and effort to to actually learn how to meditate. You know, we obviously live in a very hectic, busy world. So sometimes one of those modern technologies I think may be better suited to some people's lifestyles. And you know, who's to say if we can't come up, you know, if we can come up with a, a modern technology that really is able to deliver some of the, the, the benefits or even uh, expand on the benefits that some of these more ancient practices have been able to deliver, 
who's to say that that's not that that may not be a better approach for for certain people so I think it all depends but I think I think there's a lot of uh, new interesting modalities uh, maybe ones that haven't been you know utilized for for nearly as long so we might not know all of the the different you know benefits side effects you know that we might be able to be aware of with some of these more ancient technologies but nonetheless I think it's, it's sort of a situation of whatever floats your boat. Um, however, you're able to get your brain in shape, if you will, you know, if you're wanting to get in shape physically, some people might be more into strength training. Some other people might be more into, you know, cardio. They might just want to ride their bike in nature, you know, and, and, and who's to say that, that one is necessarily better than the other? You know, they may be able to get to the end goal of physical wellness, right? through a variety of these different technologies. So that's sort of the same way I view brain health as something that is not necessarily a one-size-fits-all approach. And whatever appeals to different people, you know, I think people should follow that. Absolutely. You know, uh, there's obviously this big emergence. You know, I actually was looking at some apps uh, last night on, on meditation. You know, you kind of pointed at the idea that some people might be more apt to doing things the quote-unquote old-fashioned way. Uh, whereas, you know, even myself, I, I find, well, if there's an app for it, like, why not? It, it makes it a little bit easier, right? You know, because obviously we, we live in this sort of society in which, you know, we're very go, 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 right? We don't really have a lot of time to sort of dedicate, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to meditate, like, I could probably do five minutes, 10 minutes. So if there's a way I can optimize it, why not, you know? And the beauty of, of our field, you know, is that it is still new in a certain sense, in the sense that, like, if I were to go talk to some stranger at the airport, you know, as I get on my flight tomorrow, he might say, hey, what do you do? And I say, well, this is what I do. Well, he may not understand what that is because it's, it's new to him, right? Or he might think, oh, that sounds like some sci-fi sort of thing you know, I saw in a movie one time, right? But I sort of see it you know, becoming more commercialized, right? And I know that you know, we've, we've been blessed to at least try out certain modalities. I know uh, there is a product I got to try out a while back, um, you know, sort of like a neurofeedback handheld sort of device, which was kind of interesting. It didn't have quite hold, you know, the strength of sort of the clinical uh, devices that we may use. And I'm not going to use any names for that, that product, but I, I did find it interesting that now there are these sort of products that, you know, the layman can go on Amazon or you know some sort of website and buy and start to try these things out, and I think that's going to just expand. You know, we're we're sort of at this stage now, I believe, that's just going to blow up. You know, um, which is it, it can be quite a beautiful thing. You know, as long as of course people are are following the guidelines that you know we have to sort of provide for them. Yes, yes, Chris, you bring up an interesting point because. I mean, that's the way I see this unfolding is that I think 
you know, and this is how I explain, you know, the work that we do to a lot of people who, who may not be really familiar with it is, you know, physical uh, wellness, you know, as far as, you know, the, the prevalence of gyms, uh, yoga clubs, cryotherapy, you know, places, all of these different ways that, that we know have been proven to enhance physical health, you know, it's become very mainstream. It's become, uh, you know, an integral part of a lot of people's lives to, to, to be a part of this, these different things on a daily basis. And we're actually really the next, the next frontier, I really think, is the brain. As you mentioned, there's a lot of these, you know, clinical devices that only a select few practitioners have their hands on right now. Notion that uh, you know, with this advancing technology, the growth of these sort of commercial products, as well as I believe the growth of the field itself, uh, you know, getting more practitioners out there, which in tandem with the growth of these sort of commercial products, I believe is going to help educate more people who may actually end up buying one of these products. Because obviously, as we mentioned, like you don't want this product out there getting people hurt, you know. Uh, but if more people are out there learning this trade, learning this skill, learning this, this knowledge, they're also out there providing it to people. So I think it's going to help guide these commercial products in that sense too. So you can help, say, have a practitioner help you evaluate what product might be the best one for you at home. Because obviously, you know, current, we're at this current stage, right? It's like, well, you have to pay me, you have to come to my facility to sit there, you know, for an hour at a time, give or take, you know, out of your busy day. That may not be that feasible for a lot of people. So a lot of people might start wanting to get this thing that they can do at home. Right? Well, especially now, right? I mean, this whole pandemic is a whole other ball of wax that, you know, makes it a little even, even more challenging, right? How many facilities had to close their doors temporarily or even permanently because of these changes? So I do foresee, you know, the products, you know, that you might buy as a consumer, um, it can be good and bad, and, you know, as we've mentioned, but I do foresee it being good overall because. Yeah, you might start to get more people in the field that can help guide what's going to be good. Exactly. And, you know, take the example of gym equipment. You know, there's, there's $50,000 machines that are going to be available, you know, for people to use at LA Fitness or their, you know, whatever gym that they use. And that might not be something that, that is meant for them to, to buy, you know, unless they're a very wealthy, you know, consumer. So, you know, they might buy a pull-up bar, they might buy exercise balls. So, it's not to say that, you know, it should be one or the other. I think, I think you know, what we're talking about, there's sort of different levels, um, you know, more commercial products, more clinical products. And I think it depends, you know, on what people are looking for. Obviously, when you take people with, you know, severe mental health cases, substance abuse cases, oftentimes they do need uh, kind of more guided, more uh, you know directed approaches you know managed under you know a clinician who really has a lot of experience with these products but that's not to say that you know a product that has been say FDA approved that's more you know sort of commercial oriented 
Uh, it might be more, you know, uh, you know, less customizable, more of these preset programs that, you know, maybe in various studies have proven some benefit. But I think we should get away from talking about, you know, uh, one or the other, you know, why not, why not a combination? Why not, because as we've talked about, you know, brain health in general, you know, and not just being diet, not just being supplements, not just being, you know, nootropics, not just being neurofeedback or meditation. It's kind of a combination of, you know, whatever, whatever people can put together, whatever works for them, for their busy schedules, uh, whatever works best for them individually. So I think it really is up to, to each person, but I do, I do see the importance obviously of the, the certification programs in providing you know, kind of these more, uh, you know, kind of rigorous uh, trainings so that, you know, people can have confidence. When people go to, you know, a, another professional, they go to a doctor, they go to see a lawyer, they expect that these people are going to have board certifications that, that show, you know, a, a, a sense of competency in their respective fields. And I think that as our field of kind of applied neuroscience gets more and more legitimized as I think is, you know, what's happening. I think that, you know, I think the certification programs are going to be a big part of it because, you know, I, it, you know, our brains are so important. I mean, if, if you're looking for someone to say, work on your brain, you know, I think it's definitely important to look for, for people who have a lot of expertise, who have board certifications, in these various modalities because, you know, it goes back to, 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 you know, how I seek out podcast guests. If I'm looking to learn about a specific subject, say brain photobiomodulation, I've interviewed, you know, Dr. Michael Hamlin uh, from Harvard. He's one of the leading photobiomodulation researchers. So I always seek to, to find the experts, the top of the line uh, people who know the most about whatever specific, you know, subject that I'm wanting to, to learn about. I think that's a, a good approach, in my opinion, for people to take, you know, when it comes to, to the application of these different tools is find whoever has the most amount of, you know, experience, uh, you know, certifications in terms of dealing with these tools because, you know, they are new technologies. Some of them are new technologies and there hasn't been necessarily uh, rigorous certifications. I mean, they're, you know, kind of, they're, they're, we're, we're still seeing them develop. We're not necessarily there yet. But I think it's, it's cool, the position that we're at, because we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing the field of neurotherapy basically become legitimized, become, uh, I think, eventually into a mainstream thing. And I think with all things, it's, it's not, it's not going to be immediate. It's not something that we're going to just, you know, wake up tomorrow and have our, all the answers uh, figured out. But I think as, as our understanding of the brain increases and as these technologies become more and more sophisticated and as people become more and more well-versed in these different technologies as practitioners, I think the results that people are going to see are going to, you know, exponentially become greater. Right, right. I, I'll dial back a moment to, to say um, that I do not agree with these commercial products being used for clinical cases. I should certainly clarify that uh, for any listeners. 
Um, because obviously, if, you, if you're suffering from a certain mental disorder, you know, you're not quite well, you shouldn't just go seek a product you know, that you find on the internet and just start using on your brain. I don't agree with that at all. Definitely, you know, of course, find, you know, a local provider who is, you know, certainly certified and has experience and so forth uh, to help you out. Now, I do, you know, on the other side of that, you know, the, sort of the peak performance aspect, I do believe that there are, is some level, you know, with these products that are on the market today that they are, you know, I would say safe in the sense that if, if you're looking for a peak performance, change, if you will, then these products are fine. Now, of course, that I do, you know, you'd have to evaluate the products, of course. But, you know, I kind of see it going this way, you know, like, we now see this, this, this shift, and a big part of this due to the sort of pandemic, um, with this sort of telehealth, you know, becoming a bigger market. Um, for, for, for therapy, for, you know, you know, being seen by a physician, you know, uh, what have you. I certainly could see that being translated to the neurotherapy side of things. If you work with, again, you know, it, even if it, in this, this is the sense of where having that clinical piece may be okay to get this product, if you're doing sort of like a telehealth sort of deal, where you're working with your neuroclinician through the telehealth system, then you're saying, look, these are my, these are my issues, these are the, the things I got going on. That clinician, using their expertise and their knowledge, can then pick apart which products are gonna be the best for you. Because certainly they're all different, right? And as you mentioned, some might be sort of, you know, fixed. It might be a certain modality that is used. So that would be up to the expert to then say, look, I think for you, you know, product X is gonna be the best product for you. And of course, you know, with this pandemic going on, we can't really see you in person, but based on my expertise and based on what I know, and based on what I've seen in, in the literature with product X, you would be a good candidate to use that. This is my recommendation, once a day, three times a week, Go, go from there. And then that could switch, you know, to the next person. You know, product X doesn't look really good for you, but maybe product Y is a better fit. And only do it maybe once a week, just based on what you got going on. So I kind of see things going in that realm too, you know, taking, you know, of course, the things going on in the world and, and how we have to adapt uh, our way of doing things, um, sort of tying into that, that sort of notion. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you want someone with the most amount of training and, and being able to, to, to select the products instead of necessarily being on your own to, to browse the internet and try to find some product that's suitable for you. I think, you know, again, that's something that we see, you know, the carryover with any other sort of technology. I mean, if you, know, you need some home improvement thing, you're looking to build a fence, you know, you might have a basic understanding of, of what sort of wood and products that you might need, but at the same time, someone, you know, you might find at Home Depot might be tremendously helpful as, as far as being able to tell you, 
all right, here are the exact things that you need in order to achieve your specific goals. And I think that's what it comes down to with neurotherapy is we all have different you know, goals that we're wanting to achieve. People, as you mentioned, who are more looking for peak performance uh, are, are going to have a very different, um, first of all, they're gonna have you know, a different sort of magnitude of problems. They might not be disabled by uh, the different mental health issues that we see you know, kind of on a clinical level. They may certainly be looking to enhance various aspects of cognition that research has shown you know, with different products, with different stimulation modalities or neurofeedback protocols uh, have shown to uh, improve different aspects of cognition. So I think it all comes down to really, you know, as we sort of, you know, we, we keep kind of belaboring uh, the same point, you know, which is it all depends on what, where are you looking to take your brain? And I think that's part of, you know, what I'm hoping to do with the, hoping that the podcast is done has helped people kind of become aware, first of all, of the different, all of these different technologies, because there's quite a lot. There, there's quite a lot of different modalities that people can, you know, now be, um, exposed to, so sort of, I think the, the first part is kind of getting an awareness of, of what these different modalities are, why one might use them, and, and then figuring out, you know, what might be best suited for each, you know, individual. Right, right. You know, I, this was a question I've been thinking of, actually, for quite a while, but, you know, sort of bringing it back to, to the listeners of, of the podcast. I was curious if, you know, you've gotten a lot of feedback. I know, so of course this is our 100th episode, you know, this is the, the special landmark episode, you know, kind of re, rehashing some of, of what we've gone through, you know, over the course of the last 99 episodes, the last you know, year and a half for, for you in this journey. The listeners that you've brought in over this course of time, has there been much you know, feedback from them? You know, I'm curious if, if, if they're saying, hey, look, I've learned a lot from this, you know, or if, if there's been sort of like a push to like, hey, can you tell me more about this? You know, because uh, that'd be something interesting to me is like, of course, you know, I think it's been helpful, right? Even as somebody who's in the field, I think the, the episodes are, are really insightful, but, uh, you know, of course, this is meant for the layman at the end of the day. So I've been curious, like, you know, where are they at and, and how much have you gotten back from them? Right. I would say a fair amount at this point. You know, I get a fair amount of comments, you know, on, say, YouTube episodes that I've posted or, you know, oftentimes people like you, you know, do just comments, you know, on, on you know, specific giving feedback on, on the specific episodes. I think that's something that I'm really hoping maybe, you know, for the next hundred episodes and more is that I, I continue to build more of that uh, engagement with my audience to really see, you know, what's hitting home for them, what, uh, what episodes, you know, they're, they're really attracted to the most and maybe what, you know, specific guests they, they, they maybe feel like, you know, maybe, maybe they're like wanting to, to learn more, you know, from a specific guest who's talking about a specific modality, say, you know, EMDR, high movement desensitization and reprocessing, you know, uh, if someone's really interested in that modality, I think that's important, you know, I, I love receiving that feedback because then it, then it can help me tailor, you know, my future guests and say, 
okay, there's, there's a real demand. Uh, people really want to learn more about this specific thing. So and I'd love to learn more about this specific thing. So why not have guests or why not reinvite, you know, the same guests? Why not do another episode with a guest who I've already had on the podcast and, and go in depth or go in different directions? I see, you know, I see it, the evolution of the podcast being, you know, very much uh, uh, audience driven. Um, I think that's important. I mean, for any sort of podcast, any sort of media, you know, you, you are building a brand, you are, you know, building kind of your, your core fan base. And it's important to, to be able to understand like what, you know, what, what interests them, what, what doesn't, because not, not every episode is going to be a home run. Not every episode is, is going to be, um, you know, everything for everyone. So I think it's, it's, it's something that, you know, as the, the podcast builds, obviously as the listenership grows, you know, the more feedback, the more comments, kind of the more, the more community I end up building with, with Roscoe's wetsuit neuro. And I'm looking forward to being able to, you know, in the future, actually being able to have, you know, more one-on-one conversations with people, you know, as I previously told you, you know, what I hope to do with the podcast eventually um, you know, is, is actually do these sort of, you know, as we're doing right here, these, these, these in-person, uh, conversations, I'm hoping to be able to, you know, eventually have a studio, uh, where I have people, you know, come in and, and talk directly and have, have an audience, you know, where potentially you might have like Q and A sessions at the end of the show where I might be able to have my, you know, my direct sort of conversation with the podcast guest. But I think it's super important to me. Uh, for that audience, for the audience to have that engagement, um, because at the end of the day, you know, uh, the reason you know I'm recording these conversations and not just having them on my own is to do, you know hopefully deliver impactful, you know, meaningful stuff to my audience, and uh, of course it's it's critical to to get that feedback, and I think will will absolutely help shape kind of the direction of the show going forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would wonder, you know, where do we, where do we see that going? You know, cause like, cause yeah, it's important that, you know, you engage as many people as you can. Right. But I, I, I think even more so than that, it's important to engage that core audience, right? Whoever that may be and in whatever number that may be. Right. Of course, we all might say, yeah, we want a million followers, right? But at the same time, that's not realistic, mm-hmm. you know? You might get a thousand followers that are going to be on every single episode, and you know that thousand followers is going to be there. But those are the people, in my opinion, that may be the most important, right? So sort of tying it up, you know, this is going to be sort of my last few uh, questions here for you. Where do you see that going? And, and perhaps if you can give us a, just, just a little taste of, of sort of what's on the horizon to help, you know, engage and, and keep those uh, core, um, uh, you know, listeners um, like myself. <laughs> Always want to hear what, uh, what's uh, out, you know, coming next. And then, you know, the last thing I want to get from you is where do you see the next 100 episodes? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so to address the, the first part of the question, I see, you know, definitely the importance of, you know, just, just getting feedback in whatever possible way that is. You know, I think definitely once I start doing, you know, studio recordings and, and have a live audience that can interact directly with me and the guest, I think that'll be, you know, hugely impactful. What you bring up is, is a great point that, you know, I was actually taught uh, by uh, a gentleman, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, at Libsyn, one of the uh, primary podcast sort of platforms, who, who was sort of explaining to me that, you know, a podcast like Joe Rogan, that I initially, you know, I'm not going to say it's my favorite podcast, but his interviewing style, as I mentioned before, you know, just uh, earlier in our conversation tonight, has been really inspiring to me. But at the same time, Joe Rogan is a figure, he's a media figure, or a public figure who, uh, you know, is able to, say, go from interviewing, you know, uh, Lance Armstrong one day to interviewing Neil deGrasse Tyson the next day, having, like, such a broad scope. And that's actually probably what I started, you know, with the podcast. You know, I called it Roscoe's Wetsuit. I didn't add the neuro component. That's a recent development within the past couple of months because I think people people don't you know before I explained you know what Roscoe's wetsuit actually is a lot of people are probably not knowing what that is they probably don't know they probably didn't know that it was a neuropsychology oriented podcast you know, just by the title so I think that importance of of, of 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 sort of finding that niche because I think a lot of products or a lot of podcasts maybe try to appeal to everyone. And as we sort of talked about, you know, even though I see this neuromodulation, this neurotherapy field eventually, you know, maybe within the next 10, 20, 30 years becoming very mainstream, like you see something like exercise, but right now it is, it is very much a niche thing. So I, uh, my rule, I don't think is to try to get everyone to listen. I think it's to find the people who are listening and figure out really, you know, building that core audience uh, and, and engaging with them to really see what they want to hear, what they want to learn about, you know, what what they're hoping, you know, what what value they've already gotten from the podcast and how I can deliver more value to them. So that's that's really my main focus is is sort of building building that core audience because, you know, I, I'm not I'm not Joe Rogan right now. So I have to, I have to focus, you know, on the people within the neurotherapy field who are listening, um, and, and really target, you know, their needs and, and what they're hoping to see. And then if you could just repeat the, the latter, the, the last question that you were yeah, asking. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so the last thing I was just curious is, you know, we probably didn't see, uh, you know, maybe you did, right? As I mentioned earlier, I, I didn't see it, but we got to 100 episodes, you know, and that's a, that's a great accomplishment. So the last question was just, you know, where's the next 100? Where's that going? Uh, just kind of your thoughts on that and, and, and sort of perhaps what you have on the horizon for us. Yes. Yeah, so definitely the way I see it going, I mean, I see the podcast, you know, for my, I've heard this, it put this way, that, that a podcast is 
like a business card. It, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily the end product of a business. It's simply, you know, the, the introduction, the, the, the foot in the door, if you will, to sort of let people know, okay, this is what I'm about. This is what I stand for. But as I've been going forward, you know, I have, as you know, I have, you know, entrepreneurial aspirations to, to go into these different, you know, to actually take these different neurotechnologies and actually start working with people on a more peak performance level. Um, eventually kind of building into uh, a center that, that I plan to do in Miami. So as I see, I, I see the podcast sort of, uh, sort of becoming almost this, this sort of business card of sort of like an introduction to, to people, to potential clients, um, to help people, help people get an education and awareness of the products and of the technology that they may be using and don't just take it from me. That's, that's what I think is really important is listen to all of the experts who are talking about the different technologies that I'm going to start incorporating, you know, into my entrepreneurial ventures. You know, I think that's why the podcast is so important is because, you know, I could, I could pitch something as, as a businessman, as a marketer, and I might be able to do a decent job of that. And I might be able to do a convincing job of that. At the same time, though, there's going to be people that are going to won't say they're going to be skeptics. They're going to want to see the hard science. They're going to want to know, you know, is this just a gimmick? Is this just a product that's, you know, trying to just sell something? Is this really actually going to do anything for me? And I think that's why merging, that's why trying to get, you know, those researchers who, who, who know the legitimacy of the work they're doing, um, but to actually have them sort of connected to this, to this, this entrepreneurial sort of these business ventures and really have them, them interconnected with, you know, as, as I go forward, I think that's super important. Um, just because I, I, you know, the way I, I view things is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, going to, to, to say I'm necessarily the expert in any specific area of, of neuroscience or neuromodulation. But what I do see is that, you know, I'm able to integrate and I'm able to bring together all of these experts, you know, kind of into one platform being Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro and having, uh, having kind of, you know, building a community. Um, and hopefully the way I see it going is that, you know, eventually these, these podcast guests will, will be able to you know, it won't be just me interacting with my audience. It'll be the podcast guests, inter, you know, interacting with the audience, building the whole brand of, of Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro um, in the sense that it's, it's a community. It's not just me. It's not just Toby Passman doing this podcast. You know, it's, it's now all the listeners, all of the guests who've been on, they're, they're all, you know, part of the, the Roscoe's Wetsuit community. And I think, you know, with anything, just with any sort of community, just the, the sort of collaboration, uh, the integration of all of these different pieces, I think, I think helps just grow the community and helps, helps build these connections that I think, I think is really important because there's, there's, as we sort of talked about and just, just the theme, I think a, a big theme of what we've just been talking about is how there are all of these different, there, there's all of these different modalities, there's all these different practitioners and clinicians and researchers, 
And oftentimes they're not super, there's not a lot of cross collaboration. Sometimes there may be, I think it's great when there is, but I see what I can, you know, what I can do with Roscoe's wetsuit is really help bring people together from these different fields and, and inspire as, as the podcast I hope does, you know, inspire discussion. And I think, you know, I think, I think basically the next hundred episodes I see, I see being, you know, less so focused on maybe what I find, uh, you know, what I find interesting or what I, you know, people I'm hoping to talk to, but really listening to see what, what the audience is hoping to, to get, what, what they're hoping to achieve, uh, and hopefully really building uh, a real tangible audience. You know, there's, I could see myself doing, you know, conferences in the future as, you know, there's certain neuroscience conferences such as Neurofield, you know, that goes on, uh, that brings together people of sort of these disparate, you know, areas of neuroscience and they come together and they're able to share ideas. I mean, what is Roscoe's wetsuit, you know, besides really, a, you know, sharing of ideas. So, you know, it's building a community just like any other community. And I think it takes time. Obviously the, the podcast, you know, when I first started it, just, you know, had a handful of people listening, but as, as the listenership increases, you know, I see, especially, you know, once COVID hopefully gets taken care of, you know, I see, you know, these in-person events where we get, get people actually talking to each other face to face and, and really, really see where it goes. You know, I, I don't see it, you know, as just being a, a thing that I'm doing anymore. It's something that I've started, but I hope that, that people will sort of, you know, sort of take Roscoe's wetsuit and, and they, they apply it to their own lives and take it wherever, wherever it's going to go, you know? Well, I mean, that's, that's all we could hope for, you know? Um, well, I appreciate uh, everything you've done, you know, in this last year and a half. This has been quite the journey to see, you know, as, as a friend and colleague, um, as an avid listener of, of the podcast. I think it's, it's been a, a hell of a journey. And so I congratulate you on your success with it. Um, happy 100 episodes. And of course, thank you for having me here. And, uh, you know, to, to, to the listeners, um, you know, this is, of course, is Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. It can be found on, on Apple. Um, can be found on Spotify, if I uh, recall correctly, as well. Um, and he's also posting on YouTube. Um, I'm sure other uh, podcast uh, channels as well. So uh, thank you guys for, for allowing me to be here and hearing my spiel. Toby, appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, sir. And obviously, as we just talked about, you know, the importance of just that, you know, whatever the audience thinks, you know, I'd love to hear your guys' feedback, not just on this episode, this 100th episode special, but with all the episodes, you know, please don't hesitate, you know, contact me, leave comments, leave suggestions. Uh, You know, I think, you know, something that, that, you know, with, with Chris specifically is something you know, Chris, Chris, you could have, when, when we've talked about podcast episodes, you could have simply said, oh yeah, great job, man. Like, like, you know, the, these podcasts are awesome. Like, but that doesn't help me necessarily get better. The, what, what helps me get better and deliver more meaningful, impactful, better content altogether is that constructive criticism, you know, figuring out, you know, 
okay, here's maybe little ways to tweak, you know, the wording of, of certain certain things I'm saying or or maybe, you know, at the end of episodes doing, you know, sort of a, a summarization of ideas, some of the summarization of the main points that the, the, the guests have pointed out. So I think, you know, I, I commend you, sir, for, for, for that constructive criticism and I hope to to get more of that, you know, from, from all of the listeners. I think that's you know, I think I think that is what helps kind of improve improve what I'm doing and, and as of as we sort of talked about, I'm only a year and a half into this. There's been people who've who've been podcasting for a lot longer and I plan on doing this podcast for a lot longer, but the way I see myself getting better just as with any you know, tool and any 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 skill, you know, is both both the repetition along with that feedback, that constructive feedback from from people uh, who really who really care, uh, who are really dedicated to see the show, you know, grow into whatever it may be, and you know, it may may not just be a show. I mean, obviously. As we've talked about, hoping to, to do a different entrepreneurial ventures, take this thing, you know, all the way. And I, I look forward, you know, to, to, to meeting all of the listeners, being a part of, of their journeys, having them be a part of my journey. And we'll see, see where this thing goes. You know, who knows? The sky is the limit. Thank you, guys.